HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. Okay, really, it's 5.18, but who's counting? I'm Kat Johnson, and as always, I'm here with Katie Mosman-Wadler, the Executive Director of HRN. How's it going, Katie? Hey, Kat. It's going okay. I'm glad it's happy hour. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and we've got Hannah and Hallie, our interns in the building. What? what? <laughs> and our special guest today is our accountant and spiritual leader, as uh, David said. <laughs> advisor. <laughs> spiritual advisor. Oh, good. I'm not a leader. You can be our spiritual leader. We alternate. Yeah. Um, Joanne Flash Fleming. Wow. <laughs> what an intro, right? Wow, yeah. Okay, thanks. Hi. <laughs> Joanne used to have a show on HRN called Flash Talks Cash. Yep. And t- tell us what that show was about, Joanne. Oh, my God. It was about money. I talk about money. I'm all about money. I can add it. I can spend it. I can make it. And then I help people do the same. Make it, spend it, save it. Get out of trouble with it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh-huh. Um, we would not be HRN without you. Uh, oh, boy, these, no- uh-huh. these noises uh-huh. in the background. <laughs> wow. And you I'm, brought the cash drawer with you. That's really impressive. I did. Wow, yeah. thanks. Okay. <laughs> oh, for me, you shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, our show this week, as always, we will be kicking off with our rapid-fire headlines from the week across the HRN network. Um, and then we're going to hear Joanne's story about the best day one of the best ever, one of the best, or maybe the best no, day ever. No, one of the best. This is one of those stories that we could hear a million times, and it would never get old. Um, and then we are going to have Jordan Salcido coming in to talk to us about the new sustainable Italian wine cooler called Ramona that we are pre-gaming with a little tiny bit, but we'll talk about more mm. later in the show. And you will get a very special chance to hear the first episode ever of Fresh Pickings, hosted by our very own Kat Johnson. So stay tuned at the end of the show for that. And we're going to jump right in with our headlines. I want to start. Okay. Um, well, never mind. No, I don't. You go. Okay. You have you have an extra special headline saved up for later. Yeah, yeah. All right. So here we go. This week on HRN, it seems like all of our hosts had one thing on their minds. Booze. This week on Cooking Issues, Dave Arnold travels to San Diego, where he attended the Bartender Advocacy—sorry, the Bartender Advocacy Convention, also known as Bacon, which was a Bacon. day the, the Bartender Advocacy Convention. Bacon Con. It was a day of spirits and hospitality education with some of the industry's most respected profession professionals or personalities, whichever you want to say. And then there was also Dave, the consummate professional. <laughs> On the Grape Nation this week, Sam Ben Ruby had on Eric Asimov. He's the chief wine critic of the New York Times, 
And his weekly columns include Wines of the Times and his monthly Wine School. And we're very excited about this. Stay tuned to The Grape Nation all throughout June. Sam is hosting a Women in Wine series featuring some of the baddest ladies in the industry. And on this week's episode of All in the Industry, Sherry is joined in studio by Mark Oldman. He's one of the country's leading wine personalities. The author of three acclaimed wine books, Mark recently released the much-lauded How to Drink Like a Billionaire. As a regular speaker, his sold-out appearances at the country's top venues have been called hilariously entertaining and must-see events in the world of wine and food. And, okay, we're going to switch lanes from wine. Talk about this week's episode of A Taste of the Past. Linda Palaccio is joined by Megan Elias. She's an author and cookbook historian exploring the role that words play in the creation of taste on both a personal and a national level. By taking cookbooks seriously as a genre and tracing their genealogy, her new book, Food on the Page, explains where contemporary assumptions about American food come from and where they might lead. I love that. I think we should definitely take cookbooks as a serious genre. As we do in our monthly Books and Brews series featuring books by our very own hosts. Yes. And finally, in recognition of National Immigrant Month, this week's episode of Food Without Borders features guest Krishnan Ray, chair of the NYU Food Studies Graduate Department and multimedia artist and scholar Sarah K. Khan. Krishnindu, Sarah, and Sari, our host, discuss how immigration policies of the past have affected our food system today and how street vendors may be impacted by current anti-immigrant rhetoric and beefed-up deportation policies. They also discuss issues of cultural appropriation and authenticity in food. We also have a special shout-out today that it was the 100th episode of Tech Bites. And so Jen actually sat in the interviewee seat today uh, and was guest interviewed by her guest host, Carrie Diamond of Cherry Bomb. So tune in for the 100th anniversary episode of Tech Bites. Yay, Tech Bites! Uh, also... Not food news, not network news exactly, but uh, I feel that it bears mentioning that today is the uh, Comey hearings. Uh, uh-huh. So, uh, gotta be honest, I was like working all day, so I have not had time to closely follow all of what went on. Um, I've been kind of like checking the headlines in the background, but um, honestly, it's just been like a little bit of a stressful day. So I don't think there was uh, any <laughs> smoking gun that came out. But mm-hmm. one interesting thing about today, Donald Trump has not tweeted once yet today. Yeah. Wow. And, it, and it's yeah. five after five Eastern time. <laughs> Maybe he dropped his phone in the toilet. I think no, I think somebody is has him in a headlock well, in the White House right now. His, 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 <laughs> his personal lawyer spoke on his behalf. Uh, it wasn't really any uh, any smoking guns. No no surprises. But according to what I heard, is if you're legal, there was some legal juice. Mm. spoken today and mm. uh yeah he's he's on his way out he's checking out bye-bye trumpy cheers to that fingers crossed uh well i can turn anything into a food news story um this one comes with help from my sister freya uh so freya is the um, product director at food.com like me also super into food and uh, she, you know, commutes into work at Chelsea Market. She's on the train right now back to New Jersey. So um, I was unable to get her on the phone, but I did talk to her about her plans for tonight. Um, she's been really into hosting uh, the, like, kind of casual dinner party where you don't, like, freak out and clean your house. You just have, like, cool friends over who will just be like, yes, like, this is normal. Um, don't freak out. So tonight she's having, like, a don't freak out uh, post-game analysis session and uh, she's really, really good at food and drinks. So she's making some kind of like delicious whipped goat cheese with herbs thing happening. Um, but what I really want to talk about is her beverage menu for tonight. That like, I mean, she's such a badass. She just like threw this together. I just saw a post about it on Facebook. Um, but it's super clever. So she's starting with the Kofi cocktail, uh-huh. which is going to be uh, cold <laughs> brew, ancho reyes, reposado, and an orange twist. Yum. Um, uh-huh. She also is making a drink called the impeachment oh, with funny. peaches, mint, simple syrup, <laughs> and <funny>. rosé. <laughs> 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 and uh, finally, importantly, the classic, the last word. 
So that's going to be gin, chartreuse, maraschino liqueur, and lime. Um, so she's, she's calling it the Suburban Ladies Political Post-Gaming and Group Therapy <laughs> Coven. Uh, so Freya, you're the best. I love you. I wish I was with you this afternoon. Um, but we're thinking about your crazy cocktail game. <laughs> anyway, I just had to share that. Um, it's really nice to see how we are all coming together and coping and uh, trying to make some changes in 2018. Speaking of coping, Aww. one of the ways I like to cope is hanging out with Joanne and hearing all of her awesome stories. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Can I just can I just say before we get started? You know, I, most of the listeners know we sit in Roberta's Pizzeria, right in yeah. Bushwick, which is in Brooklyn, and we're watching two people eat pizza with knives and forks. Where are they from? <laughs> Come on. There should be a rule. You eat pizza in Brooklyn, you don't, you pick it up with your fingers. Come on. Hey, hey, yo, hey, hey. I think that's perfect. I I think they heard us. She turned her head. They can sort of tell that we're talking I'm about it. Now we're all getting all I'm shifty. smiling at We're her. like shifty eyes, shifty eyes here behind the glass. <laughs> well, she picked it up with her fingers now. The I pizza's know. in her fingers. I think it's true. Bravo! Yay! See, Joanne just makes positive changes everywhere she goes. Joanne, how do you know so much about how to eat pizza in Brooklyn? I don't know. I was from, I'm from New York City. I don't no know. No way. No way. No, you can't tell, right? <laughs> Well, so tell tell us about this story because okay. I've heard it a couple of times. And oh. I just think everybody needs to. Hear oh, it. that's funny. Okay, so <laughs> it's one of the best days of my life. I live a long. I've had a long life. I have more to go, but it's not the best. It's one of the best. So one day I uh, had uh, tickets. It was June sixteenth, two thousand six. It's almost the anniversary, right? Eleven years next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I had tickets to a day game at the Yankee Stadium and I always went to Yankee Stadium I had season tickets and I used to sit in these really expensive great seats they cost like $150 a seat and then I would buy $5 seats and sit up in the bleachers. I didn't care where I was sitting as long as I had a Yankee game. So this was a lovely day. I had a day game up in my cheap seats, $5 up in the upper deck. And uh, we went to the game, me and my friend. Um, and we were sitting there playing, the Yankees playing Cleveland. And him and I had been to many, many baseball games in our day. We were not that young. I would say hundreds of games. And what this one day... A foul ball came and landed in his hand. It was amazing. <laughs> we cheered like we were 12, maybe 8. We were like, yeah, yeah, we finally got a ball. We were so excited. Here you are sitting in the cheap seats, $5 seats, and we get a ball. I've sat in the expensive seats. I never saw anything close to that. <laughs> so we were thrilled beyond, beyond. And so we enjoyed that day. It was a lovely day. And uh, we went home, and we went to uh, that evening. We had plans to go to see Maceo Parker at Prospect Park. Celebrate Brooklyn. So when you go to Celebrate Brooklyn, you have to pay, they ask, suggested donation, $3. So now we're up to $8 for the day. <laughs> and we're going, and we're funking away with Maceo. Funk, funk, funk. Everything's funking. And we had a great time. He was great. You know, he was in James Brown Band, and, uh, you know, he, he's an old guy. And, and uh, so we're all funking away, and he <laughs> finishes his concert, and, you know, everybody's clapping and clapping and clapping. And, of course, they come out for an encore. And out comes the band to come for an encore performance and they start playing not Maceo music, not funk music but you know, some really cool music. So we're like everybody's going, wait a second wait a second, that's Prince that's Prince Prince showed up Prince came out and played a tune or two and everybody in Prospect Park went wild they went wild wild wait would you say would you say they went crazy no they went wild it was a wild scene so we had one of the best days for eight dollars we got a baseball at Yankee Stadium and we got to see Prince that night what a day 
Uh, I think we should play a French song in honor of that, don't you think? Can we? I don't think we can afford that, Joanne. <laughs> you should know. I'm telling you, we can afford it. Joanne's going to foot the bill. Um, but also, Prince's birthday, in fact, was just yesterday. Uh, yep. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Uh, also, I wanted to um, say... That reminded me of Sarah McKean, who works with us. She was at the Yankees-Red Sox game a couple days ago. and Where there are no winners. <laughs> that's uh, not on, true. That's rude, That's David. not true. We're 28 <laughs> times world champion. They're twice, okay? We're winners, okay. They're a little bit less so winners, but yeah. Twice they won. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, she, there was um, two Yankees fans who got... You know their seats upgraded through like a contest, uh-huh. so they put him on the jumbotron, right. and she has this video of her holding on to the guy and being like, like totally just taking over his like moment in the uh. in the sun, you know, <laughs> and like like just smiling and grinning in her all her Red Sox gear because she's from Boston. Uh. Typical Red Sox fan. Uh, well, you know, I have to I have to be frank. I've been to Damn Fenway. It. Cut it out. I've been to Fenway. And I've gone up there. The last time I was in Fenway, I've been there twice. The last time I was in Toronto, was playing Red Sox. And I was rooting for Toronto, obviously. <laughs> and uh, somehow or another, the people around me figured out I was from New York. I wonder how they figured so that out. Mysterious. So they start saying, she's a New Yorker, she's a New Yorker. And then they... Uh, they started to like try to beat up on me. I'm like, you're kidding. You're really kidding. <laughs> so I beat back up on them, and then they backed off. So, like you had a physical fight with them? No. <laughs> uh, Sticks wait. and stones. Okay. Break your bones. But what was it like to see Prince? Was it the only time you've seen him? I was the only time I've seen Prince. And you can't see him anymore, right? I've seen Prince. Only a hologram now. Now a hologram. Mm. Oh, it was fun. I mean, it was, you know, I, frankly, I, I'm not a big fan of Prince. I thought it was it was great. I was there for Maceo, but that was a really, I mean, it was really extraordinary. He comes out and he's dancing. He's in a suit, you know, and, you know, his fancy clothes. And it was just fun. It was just, it's just a great surprise. It was a great surprise. I love it. Bravo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Prince. All right. Well, I think we'll take a break. We'll come back. Talk to Jordan Salcido and listen to Fresh Pickings. All right. right. See you in a bit. Super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Thank you, Roberta's. All right, we're back, and I'm so excited. Our guest, second guest for this show is a friend of mine and former colleague, Jordan Salcedo. She is the founder of... Yay! She's the founder of Ramona and Bellis Wines and the director of Wine Special Projects at Momofuku. Welcome, Jordan. Hello, Kat. <laughs> so happy to be here. Thanks so much for coming on. We're so excited, so and we got a little tiny taste already of Ramona. Oh, you should have, have a bigger more. taste. I agree. <laughs> more. 
Bigger taste. Big taste. Yeah. Big. Bigger taste. <laughs> so, Jordan, I first want to talk about like a little bit about your background in wine. I read somewhere, tell me if this is true, that you said growing up you heard stories about your dad making bad wine. Yes, my dad did used to make bad, he used to make bad wine with his father who made that bad, my dad was sort of the assistant winemaker of very bad wine with his father. Uh, They made wine in their basement and uh, my dad's dad, whom I never met, but he was an Italian immigrant, came over when he was 10 and that was just what you did. You bought grapes, like all of your neighbors and friends, and you made your own homemade bad wine in the basement. Um, And that is the one memory that my dad really shares of his father. And so it was sort of nostalgic, and he would always have bad wine around the house. Um, Now he has very good wine around the house. Thanks to you. (laughs) And thanks to him, he has a very good palate. He sort of became (laughs) snobby very quickly. It was sort of like, uh, it's, it's it's very cute. In fact, he doesn't even like drinking most Italian wines now. He, he prefers he prefers Burgundy. Wow. Yeah. He's he's very snobby. It's very funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was sort of like the accidental connection with wine. So did he did your family get you into wine more or did you kind of discover it on your own and then you kind of got them into good wine? It's a great question. I would say that he got me into the idea of wine and because wine was clearly this point of connection with his father. It is really the only point of connection I have with the grandfather that I never met. And so it was in the back of my mind there was always this sort of romance and this connection with it, Um, but it didn't become part of my life or any part of my career in a real way until my early to mid-twenties. And then Tell us about how, in your early 20s, how you got into the hospitality industry. Okay, so I always had, um, I always, I worked in restaurants or in hospitality in some way since I was 15. Um, First at a coffee shop, and then as a hostess at a restaurant, and then as a waitress at a restaurant, and and that was sort of always my, my thing that I did after the other thing, whether that was school or uh, when I moved to New York, I thought I would write or do publishing or sort of be in that world. Um, and I moved to New York without a job. And in the meantime, I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, get this restaurant job. And I ended up getting a job as a host at a restaurant called Topo. In fact, I think I was a server first. I was a server or host at a restaurant called Topo. And I quickly became put in charge of these wine tastings. Um, so I got to organize these wine tastings and it was this sort of very strange restaurant but great in terms of learning and um, and through that restaurant I met a guy named Fran Derby who said this place is fine but come with me to WD50 it's opening up it's going to be so much cooler and uh, and so I met with Dewey Wiley's (laughs) father who hired me and I got to be one of the opening hostesses at WD50 and um, and that was like this amazing eye-opening experience which made me decide that I would pursue restaurants in some capacity as a career path and felt like writing about restaurants would be the best way to do that. Moved back to Colorado once my lease was up thinking, okay, I'll go to culinary school. It'll probably be, it's more realistic that I will be able to do some writing in Colorado as opposed to New York where, you know, I grew up in Colorado. I could, you know, it's just, it was just a sort of a felt like my chances of getting a gig, a writing gig were probably higher there and brought some writing samples to a few places, ended up getting to be this cheap eats critic and also going to culinary at the same time. Um, And of course, in order to graduate, you have to cook at a restaurant. And so that was where, in in my head, I always always missed New York and I always felt like, okay, I have to get back there. I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And then just had kept in touch with people um, from, that I had met in the city and um, ended up getting to stage at at Danielle for it was a three-day mandatory stage at the time um, and I, it was the greatest thing ever I just connected with that restaurant Danielle Ballou is one of the greatest people that I've ever met he just loves to teach and he loves to create this fun environment that's very conducive to learning and he loves to sort of mishmash cultures together so there were always different chefs from different countries in the kitchen and um, it was very inspiring And uh, I remember when I was cooking there, 
um, I was I started to date actually a man who I'm now married to. His name is Robert. Uh, Robert Four, yes. <laughs> and he at the time had this very very uh, fancy wine restaurant called Crew. And so we would go on dates, and he'd be like, "Here's this bottle of 1980 Jean Henri Jaillet, which is like now at auction for like thirty thousand dollars a bottle. It was <laughs> not that price at the time, but you know, these stories and these wines, and they were insane. And Danielle used to. Um, I was always late. I would always stay late because that's what you do when you're a young cook. And also the pastry department would put out um, all of the pastries at the end of the night. And so if I stayed till the bitter end, I would always get the best pastries that were left over, which was obviously a very big incentive. So um, let's see. It was one night I was like, I, yeah, it was one night that I can sort of pin this on. It was like the first time I had a real conversation with Danielle. And he walked in from the lounge. I had this book with me that I had bought at, um, what, what is it? What is that? Bonnie Slotnick's cookbooks. Mm. Um, all these used cookbooks. And there's one called Great French Chefs. And um, I had that with me because I got it a few days prior on my day off. And then Danielle comes in from the lounge and he says, who are you? And, oh, what's that book? And do you like wine? And I said, I do like wine. And my name's Jordan. And I, I was the bass rapper at the time. And um, he had a bottle of 1978 Jaboulet La Chapelle from the Rhone. And it was delicious. And I said, I do like wine. That's so nice. And he poured me some. And then we just started talking. And he looks in this book. And it turns out that the book, the di- the book had in it. A featured dish of red mullet with potato scales. And that dish happened to be the dish that inspired the dish that I was then working on as the stagiaire. Um, every single day I would wrap this black bass puppiette, and that dish was a derivation of this dish that was in this book from when he had worked with Paul Bocuse before he opened Danielle. So it was just very connected. Um, and he he's such a good connector of dots. And he said, hey, I do this thing um, called La Palais de Neige. And you should you should work it. You seem to like wine. If you can get over there, then you can work this event with me. And so that was in January 2006. And it was this very tiny La Palais. And it was just a handful of amazing Burgundian winemakers. It was Christophe Rumier and Jean-Marc Rouleau and Dominique Lafon and Jean-Pierre de Smet and a few others. And... Um, and they uh, were there with a few collectors, and then I was there with Danielle and a couple of chefs, and that was the moment where it was sort of like, all right, this is this is the thing. This is like, how lucky am I that I get to be here at this moment? And Danielle said, you, you really seem to like wine. I think you should work harvest. And I was like, that would be a dream. How does that even happen? And he was like, well, you will, tomorrow we will, you will stand next to me and you will ask whomever you want to work harvest with. And they will say yes. (laughs) 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 It didn't happen exactly that way, but pretty much. But you still work harvest every year, right? I do work harvest every year. Yeah. So that, that first harvest with uh, Jean-Pierre Desmet at Demandelarlo was the most eye-opening thing for me. It was, um, it was like an instant education into all of these things that I could could never have read in a book. Um, in addition to just having, so one thing about that particular domain in that particular year, it was the last year that Jean-Pierre was at that domain. Um, Jean-Pierre, and guess I guess back to lineage and connection, Jean-Pierre had learned how to make wine from Jacques Sess at Domaine du Jacques, who had in turn learned how to make wine from Aubert de Vilaine at Domaine de Romane Conti. So these are like the three iconic estates that are very famous for whole cluster fermentation in Burgundy, which is stylistically quite different from Distel wines. Um, in some ways, many things are similar, but in this one particular aspect, it's a very philosophical difference. Um, and so, you know, and also Jean-Pierre's partner, Lilo, was an insane, she is an insane cook, and she would just make these glorious meals, and everybody in Burgundy would want to come to them. And especially because it was a, a sentimental year, being their last at the Domaine, uh, every night we would do different blind tastings, and different people would bring, bring different bottles and Jean-Pierre and Robert would go down to the cellar and they would bring up a bunch of different wines and then we would taste them blind and it was this incredible education in every way you know about Burgundy about the domaine about these other domains about the connections and the sort of familial quality of the region itself and then of course during the day when 
you're there in rubber pants picking grapes in the rain. <laughs> you're learning about <laughs> the weather in Burgundy and the different vineyards and the different bugs in the vineyards. And then after the picking, um, you know, you could go in or I would usually just stay another hour or so in the winery. And then that's where you, you'd get to learn about all the important decisions in terms of making the actual wine. But And, and even like in the morning, you know, we'd get up and we'd have this bread that Lila would have made the night before with, of course, jam from Mirabelle plums that she had made during the summer and it, so that was like the first moment but then you get to the, the sort of big mosh pit and that's where the, the leader, the, the vineyard manager would, would map out uh, the vineyard parcels that we would be picking that day and explain the reasons why so you know I mean, I guess it, like with anything, with any dish or with anything that's high quality, it's usually not one or two decisions, but this amalgamation of like 50. So, yeah, so it was just sort of learning the thought process as well as seeing the soil and the vineyards and and hearing the context for the first time. And so I want to talk about Ramona since that's mm. the reason for the season, I feel like. The reason for the <laughs> season. I love it. Why? And we can't talk about it without pouring some, yes. so I'm going to go ahead and Pop just... It. Oh, that sounds so good. Um, so actually, one thing really quick. I think it's so interesting. I didn't realize that you kind of had a little bit of a food writing background. I never knew that about you. And I think that's interesting because you started out being like in wine service, which is if like you're a Somalia, you're kind of telling wine stories. Mm-hmm, totally. If, and then making it as like you're writing wine stories, especially oh, because. It's so fun. I never thought yeah, of that. Yeah, because I mean, and Bellis is, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're blends. Some of them are. Um, yes. The Tuscany one is mostly Sangiovese with Canaiolo, Chiliagiolo, Colorino. Mm-hmm. Um, Falangina is 100% Falangina. That's the Caldera. And then the Frappato is 100% Frappato. That's awesome. Scopello. So you, for, first you made Bellis um, your line of wines. And then now you're doing, making Ramona's. And Ramona is a wine cooler. Ramona is a wine cooler. We're, uh, you will see this on our next, on our next production run. Ramona is wine, but cooler. Love that. <laughs> why did you want to make a wine cooler? Oh, why did I want to make wine cooler? Um, this will embarrass me, but uh, when I... I'm not a beer person. I'm not a, oh, I crave a cool, crisp beer. How refreshing. Um, I wish I liked it in that way, but it's never been me. So uh, I will remember trying a wine cooler once. Like, instead of a beer, there was this alternative, and it was totally cheap and trashy but it was also delicious in this weird way and of course I was young at the time and had never experienced great wine before um, but I guess I come back to that because that was a point of entry for me it was mm-hmm. sort of like oh a wine cooler was like an easy way to drink wine and not have to drink beer and have and, and optimize for taste and flavor in a way that felt more delicious um fast forward several years sort of like why why a why did they go away and b why hasn't anyone done it better (laughs) (laughs) um because i would probably not i would not consume a wine cooler uh, today that i consumed you know many years ago um voluntarily but i (laughs) but i think that there's a place for that and why why isn't there something portable that's that's fun and that doesn't the goal with Ramona was to make something that shared my value system that didn't take itself too seriously Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so can you tell us give us some tasting notes tell us how Ramona tastes oh wow you guys will all right I mean Ramona how does Ramona taste the way we wanted Ramona to taste hmm I still love Ramona, um, even after drinking it all the time, every single day. <laughs> um, That's good. That is good. Uh, how did how does Ramona? The goal for Ramona when we were like playing around with recipes, it was literally grapefruit juice and wine and carbonation and. Um, a little bit of grape juice, like um, concentrated grape juice. We played around with a few different flavors. Um, yeah, but we want it to taste refreshing. We want it to be super. Uh, the goal is like it should be refreshing. It should be, it should be, and it should be versatile. So you can mix it. Like my husband likes to drink it with tequila. Mm. Sometimes I mix it. <laughs> a Paloma, it, a Paloma, a Ramona Paloma. Yes, I'm making that. ASAP. It's, uh, I think I might name my future child Ramona Paloma. It's <laughs> a great name. It's so cute. Um, it is a good name. R- Ramona. So the name Ramona came from um, actually my sister's alter ego from when she was five. 
Uh, <laughs> I have a sister named Anne Marie. When she was five, she was obsessed with Ramona Quimby, uh-huh. and so she renamed herself Ramona as this. It's almost like a way to scapegoat whatever decision she was making that she didn't want to get blamed for or <laughs> in trouble for. So she would like, you know, do something naughty, and then we would say like, Anne Marie, you're not allowed to do that, or like, that's really not nice, or like, don't ever do that again. And like that's I don't I don't know what you're talking about. That wasn't me. That was you'll have to talk to Ramona about yeah. that. And it was like so so <laughs> on that note, kind of what uh, what's the alcohol percentage of, mm. of Ramona, and what does it <laughs> take for you to say it wasn't me? It was, it was Ramona. Ramona. How many? <laughs> how many is that? I would say for me, it's probably three Ramonas. <laughs> um, it is seven. <laughs> seven and a half percent alcohol. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's up there. That's yeah. more than beer. Yeah, it yeah, it is. It's I mean, it's more than most beers. It's right. true. It's, it's true. Great for summer. <laughs> that's the, yeah. That's the goal. And pray ski, not that we're in ski moment. It's mm. summer. Oh. Drink Ramona all summer, but don't abandon it when it's the winter time. True. How yeah. many ounces is in a can? Eight point four ounces. Okay. So three cans is a full bottle of wine. Ah. Whoa, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Really? So a that's the high. other reason we wanted it in a can because it's like so many times you're paying for fuel cost and shipping of glass, which is heavy, and then that requires more fuel, and it's also not as easy to recycle and all these things. So we just wanted to make it I love that. You've been a huge proponent of boxed wines and everything at Momofuku, and I just, and yeah, love that. I remember when we used to work on all those things together. I know. (laughs) Friday nights when you were like, I can finally get work done on Fridays. Everyone else is gone. Good times. (laughs) Can you give us box wine? Really? Box wine? Oh, yeah. Jordan. Tell mm. us about box wine. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to recommend a Tetra Pak wine for you. So Tetra Pak is even better than boxes. Bag in box uh, it requires a porous plastic bag. So uh, the lifespan is not as long. But if you are choosing the right back box wine, and my, I would propose I, I am a big proponent of Tetra Pak. Um, there are some really high quality options out there. The, my favorite one is called Fori Strata. We actually have, we used to pour it at Noodle Bar by the glass. Um, it was like the co-shift drink for a long time. Uh, it's now white, red, and rosé, but it's organic grapes from Italy, uh-huh. um, which is actually, we also work with organic grapes from Italy for Ramona, but um, organic grapes from Italy that are packaged in a Tetra Pak, so it's one liter as opposed to 750 milliliters. Um, (laughs) And the cost of the Tetra Pak is in general less than the cost of a cork of the bottle of wine. So if... Yeah, so basically thoughtful-minded wineries who are looking to optimize for quality can spend or can invest their money in the quality of the wine as opposed to having to purchase not only this expensive cork, but the label and the glass and then the shipping of all that. So it just the price adds up very quickly. Um, in addition, Tetra Pak is, I believe it's a Swedish company. Um, the, it's made from paper. It is recyclable and biodegradable. Um, and the forest that is used for the Tetra Pak is a sustainable forest that has been intentionally planted for the purpose of making Tetra Paks. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty pretty smart. In addition, it is not a porous container, unlike a bag and box. So, uh, so the wine can the, there's a two year lifespan guarantee, um, and ninety percent of Americans purchase wine consumed. Uh, 90% of the wine purchased in America is consumed within 24 hours of purchase. So that's far more of a lifespan, far longer of a lifespan than, than most people will ever need. Mm. Wow. Okay, I have one more question for you, Jordan. Well, there are two questions. Where can we find Ramona to drink this summer? Mm. And also, where can we find Ramona online? I love those questions. Okay, so um, let's see. Online, I guess, yeah, online, if you go to drinkramona.com. And then there's a little tab that says buy. So you can go to the buy tab and then uh, all the markets that we are listed in, um, the the major retailers are online and then there's a hyperlink right to them. Um, Fresh Direct, if you live in the New York area, you can now, uh, Ramona is available on Fresh Direct. Um, some of our favorite retailers where it's always available, Crush Wine and Spirits on 57th Street between 3rd and Lex, Vintry Fine Wines in the Financial District, Bottle Rocket and Flatiron on 19th Street. Um, those are some of our favorites. Nice. Yeah. 
Does it freeze? Oh, good question. So we say Ramona is wine without rules. We have not, I've not tried like popping a can in and I would not recommend that because it will probably burst and then you'll have a freezer full of Ramona frozen. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like the worst thing, but like, but what if I put it in a Ziploc? I love that idea. Or make a Paloma and freeze that. You make a Paloma and freeze that. Can you shotgun a Ramona? Oh my God. (laughs) I love that idea. You know what? You know, we're very practical here. I'm going to send you guys a shambong because you can definitely shambong (laughs) Ramonas. Yes. 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 I'm sending it to Kat and she's going to pass out the shambong. Thank you. (laughs) Care of Kat, care of Chan. (laughs) Do they come in six packs or you buy them individually? They come in four packs. Four packs. Yep. In a paper carton. In a paper carton. Good a girl. one a one liter one liter four pack, exactly. Oh my gosh, this has it. been so exciting. Save those dolphins. I love Save this. Dolphins. Jordan, <laughs> you have to come back soon because I feel like I could talk to you for like four really hours. Well so lovely to Thank be wait, here. wait, wait, wait. Do you have any hour. other do you have any yeah. other flavors besides Ramona? We are working on other flavors. <gasps> what are they? What are they? What are they? All right. Well, I can't promise anything, but most likely our next release is going to be peach. Most likely, Whoa. <gasps> like thunder peach, like, like thunder Bali. peach. We're talking with our friend. That was the Mama Fuku certain- cocktail. <laughs> Yes, that was definitely the inspiration. So we're talking, we're talking with our friends at Mama Fuku uh, to see if if there's a way to to. Yeah. And oh, you can also if you love if you like to go and drink Ramona's, you should go to the new Fuku, the brand new Fuku on Wall Street. On Wall Street where they have Ramona. And okay. then you can take the ferry from Wall Street to Rockaway. So bring can... a four pack with you to the and beach. To the dream. beach. Bring your frozen Ziploc full of Ramona to the this. beach and have your beach rose I sorbet. Love this. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready for summer. We Clearly we all need right. to go to the beach. <laughs> It'll, it's Whoa. coming soon. Summer's coming tomorrow. Yes. Oh, thank God. Can't wait. This has been so such a great show for getting ready for summer. Talking about Ramona with Jordan Salcido, talking about Joanne's one of her best days ever, and it was it's June sixteenth. So we hope that you all have an equally magical June sixteenth next week. Fingers crossed. I hope it costs eight dollars or less. Yes, because <laughs> we're on a budget. We'll take an inflation. Not Don't likely. To 10. All right, maybe ten. <laughs> maybe ten. Um, okay. Thanks to Hallie and Hannah, our interns, for being in the studio once again. Thanks to David, our stalwart of an engineer. Thanks to Will, our number one fan. <laughs> Love you, Will. <laughs> and thanks to Katie, my thanks. awesome co-host. Kat, you're the most awesome co-host. Oh, thanks. Uh, I'm throwing up now. <laughs> <laughs> we love you all. We'll see you next Thursday. All right, that's our show. Bye. Bye. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Fresh Pickings is a podcast by Heritage Radio Network, presented by Bob's Red Mill. Love learning about food? Get more superfood for your brain with the featured podcast miniseries, Fresh Pickings. Go to bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Did you know that oats have been used to brew beer, thicken soups, soothe skin conditions, treat osteoporosis, and even reduce the risk of heart disease? Welcome to Fresh Pickings. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. 
Today, we're going to look at one of the most common yet remarkable foods of the modern world, the humble oat. I'll talk to Mary Azette, co-host of Femen About It, about what makes oats old-fashioned. We'll also talk about the health benefits of oatmeal and how oats are used to brew beer. Then Kathy Irway, host of Eat Your Words, will share her recipe for peachy salad with savory toasted oats. So stay tuned. Hey, Mom. Hey, Kat. What's up? So I'm doing this podcast about old-fashioned oats, and I thought I would kick things off by talking about my favorite way to eat them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, oatmeal drop cookies? Yep. So we had these cookies um, a couple times a year, usually at the holidays. But why didn't you make them more often? They're so good. They are so good. But surprisingly, even though they're no-bake, they're a little bit tricky to make. You have to cook them on the stovetop, and you have to cook them long enough but not too long so that they'll dry but they won't be too sticky gotcha where did you get that recipe from well my mom used to make them when i was a little girl and i think the recipe's been around for a long time so i'm not really sure where she got it from but she passed it down to me i'm really craving a batch do you think you can mail me some <laughs> mail them from alabama to new york yeah i don't think so but i'll tell you what i'll send you the recipe all right that works thanks mom <laughs> bye cat Basically, old-fashioned oats are dried, have their husks removed, are chopped up, lightly toasted, then rolled. That's Mary Azette, co-host of Foment About It, here on Heritage Radio Network. She's also a home brewer extraordinaire. Oats are harvested when the stalks begin to change from green to brown, traditionally using a scythe or similar tool. The stalks are tied into bunches, also called shocks, with twine and left to dry for about two weeks. Once they're dry, the inedible outer husk, also known as chaff, is removed and the remaining product is called oat groats. The groats are chopped up by large steel blades, then lightly toasted to inactivate enzymes, gelatinize the starch, and reduce moisture levels, makes them fit for storage. At this stage, the oats are known as Irish oatmeal or steel-cut oats. But this is not the same thing as old-fashioned oats, right? That's right. In order to turn steel-cut oats into old-fashioned oats, you're going to use a unique kiln-toasting method and delicate rolling process. This process stabilizes the healthy oils in the oats, so they stay fresh longer. It also makes a huge difference in how you cook them. Old-fashioned oats absorb more liquid and cook faster by creating a greater surface area. So this is the kind of oats that's really popular for us to eat for breakfast. Why exactly are old-fashioned oats the more popular version? Well, oats are such a ubiquitous breakfast food because they are hearty, fast-growing, and multi-purpose. They have a lower summer temperature requirement and greater tolerance of rain and cold than other cereals like wheat, rye, or barley. So you're saying that oats are great crops to grow in areas with cooler climates, such as Ireland. Exactly. They're actually best grown in temperate regions and are fairly easy to cultivate. They can be planted either in autumn for a late summer harvest or in the spring for an early autumn harvest. But that's not the only reason they're popular. Oats have tons of health benefits. Like what? Well, for starters, oats are naturally gluten-free, whole grain, high in fiber, and they have seven grams of protein per serving. Hold on. I didn't think oats were gluten-free. Pure oats are gluten-free, and they're safe for most people with gluten intolerance. The reason that many companies can't say their oats are gluten-free is due to contamination when they process them in facilities that also process wheat, barley, or rye. I see. So companies like Bob's Red Mill, who sell gluten-free oats, they're processing those in a facility with no contamination with other grains. Exactly. And that's great news for gluten intolerant folks who want to get other health benefits from oat bran, such as its ability to lower LDL cholesterol. That's also known as the bad cholesterol. Oats are kind of a wonder ingredient, but there's one use of oats that I specifically wanted to ask you about, Mary. You're a brewer. So what about making beer with oats? Yes. So the first style that comes to mind is the oatmeal stout. Now, oatmeal stouts have actually seen a resurgence in recent years. The style was first brewed 
I don't know when, but it was brewed through the 1950s in England. It lost popularity and eventually pretty much went extinct. Now, Samuel Smith's Brewery of Yorkshire brought it back into production in 1980, and now it's fairly common to find not only over there, but in the United States as well. Now, a newer style that often uses oats is called the New England IPA, which is a hazy juice bomb of a beer and is really common these days. Interesting. I I knew about oatmeal stouts, but not about that newer one. So... I actually have no idea how the oats are used in the brewing process. Can you explain that to me? Absolutely. It's actually really simple. The oats are added into the mash at the same time that your other grains are. Now, other grains commonly used would be barley, wheat, and rye. But by adding in oats, you actually produce a smoother, fuller, and more complex beer. The only thing to keep in mind is if you're using a significant percentage of oatmeal in your mash, you'll want to use something like rice hulls to present a stuck sparge because oats are a little gummier. After all this talk about oatmeal stouts and old-fashioned oats, I wanted to learn some new and creative ways to cook oats myself. So I called on Kathy Irway, host of Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network and author of the blog Not Eating Out in NY.com. Well, I always end up using my ingredients in new and unexpected ways. One of my favorite ways to use Bob's Red Mill oats, because they're so thick and sort of hearty, they're not like your quick oats. So they're really great to use as a crunchy topping for something. So one time I didn't have croutons or stale bread to make croutons with. So I just toasted up some oats, added some seasoning and made a savory sort of crispy topping for a salad. You could also do the same thing and make it sweet with a little bit of butter and sugar and maybe cinnamon and have a nice topping for your yogurt or ice cream. I love that. So tell me about the process for toasting old-fashioned oats. Well, if you're going to make a big batch, you can always just throw them on a baking sheet and and cook them in a low heat oven. But if you're just going to make a small amount for eating right there and then and having it nice and fresh, you can just heat up a pan with um, a little bit of olive oil and toss your oats on it and shake it around for a few minutes. Add some salt, pepper, any spices you want, maybe a little dash of cayenne pepper, which I like to add, and just kind of watch it and stir until it's uh, just fragrant and toasty smelling. And, you know, you don't want to burn it. So watch out for any signs of it overheating or over toasting. Then just remove them from the pan and let them cool. I bet that makes the apartment smell nice, too. It is. It's really nice. Thanks to Kathy for sharing her tips for using old-fashioned oats. You can find her recipe for peachy salad with savory toasted oats at bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Well, that's just about everything you could want to know about oats. If you liked what you heard, be sure to check out our other episodes of Fresh Pickings and learn more about Bob's Red Mill's favorite ingredients, including some delicious recipes and great coupon offers by going to bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Bob's Red Mill believes in good food for all. For Heritage Radio Network, I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Thanks for joining us.